you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Samuel. Turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 7, 2 Samuel and chapter 7. Uh, it has been such a wonderful uh, weekend, and uh, I have just personally been so edified and encouraged um, by the partners that are here, their skill, um, their heart, their passion for our Lord. And um, it, is, it is our great honor at Christ's Covenant to partner with you in the, in the great work you're doing. Second Samuel 7, we're going to read through verse 17. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And God said to David through Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving in a tent as my dwelling in places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus says the Lord to David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you. Wherever you went, I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones of earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. 
We've been in a series these last three weeks talking about the mission of God, and, and really we're talking about the plan of God, this plan that God has been orchestrating that is being now fulfilled, this plan that God has called us, every person in this room actually, to be a part of this redemptive plan that has been growing. I, I had the opportunity to teach at Canacook Institute last week, and I taught through the book of Ephesians, and Paul in Ephesians, I was reminded, even as I taught through Ephesians of this, Paul in Ephesians says it this way, he says, the eternal mysteries of God that are now revealed. This is God's plan, the eternal mysteries of God, this incredible working out of God's redemptive plan is now being revealed, and you're a part of it. It's an amazing thing to think about. This amazing plan of God's redemption that he's been orchestrating, he's now called us into to be a part of. A few weeks ago, Zane Pratt was here and we looked at Abraham where this redemptive plan, if you will, kind of began. God said to Abraham, your seed is blessed. You're gonna have an offspring. And through your offspring, the whole world will be blessed. Every nation will be blessed. If you're with us, Zane explained, as what I'm explaining to you right now, that this amazing plan that started way back with Abraham, God has orchestrated and he is working out now. It, it is happening now before our eyes that nations of the world are being blessed in God's redemptive plan. The eternal mystery of God is being revealed. Last week, if you were here, Barrett, preached and he looked at the second major turn of this redemptive plan when God brought Abraham's descendants out of Israel, or out of Egypt to establish them as a nation. And if you're with us last week, Barrett talked about this. He said, you are going to be my beloved people. I'm gonna show my love in the way that I love you. And he said more than that, he said, you're gonna be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. My redemptive plan is going forward. And today, we pick up in that part of the story, this holy nation part. The people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, they have come out of Egypt. They've come into the land that God promised them. Now, it was not without a struggle. There was a time of wandering in the wilderness. There was a time of war that they had to fight to establish themselves in the land. But God had blessed the people He'd given them a land. He'd given them a dwelling place. They were establishing cities. They established a great city, Jerusalem, and there was a kingdom, and there was a palace, and there was a king, this great king, King David. And, and you really can't understand the Old Testament without understanding David and his importance. God had taken him from nothing, the least of his brothers, a shepherd in the field watching the sheep, and now here he is, He's the king. He's the greatest of Israel, and God has given him enormous success. And the interaction that happens here between God and David is incredibly important for us today to understand two things. First, our identity, and then second, our purpose. Now, those are two big things. <laughs> Who you are and really what you're called to so let's look at this idea of identity. When David was young, he, he 
really trusted in the Lord. The language of the youthful David is very God-centered. Um, I went back and read 1 Samuel 17. You don't have to flip over there, but I've got a few passages on the screen. This is the when David's kind of coming onto the scene, and he comes and takes on Goliath. You remember this narrative. And he says, the Lord, this is God, the God of Israel. When you see that in your Bible, the capital L-O-R-D, look at your Bible, you'll see that. It, it, it's referring to the personal name of God. It's not just a generic term. It's, it's referring to the specific, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the specific name of God, the Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Confidence in the Lord. And then, of course, he goes out against Goliath, and Goliath thinks it's a, lack, a laughingstock. Who's this little shepherd boy coming after me? But look what David says. This is now skipping down, still 1 Samuel 17, but verse 45. David says to Goliath, you come me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day. Look, look at how many times he just mentions the Lord, he has confidence in the Lord, the Lord will deliver you from my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And of course, God, through David, defeats Goliath. The point I'm trying to make here is look at David's confidence in the Lord. It's all about the Lord. But here it's years later, and it's not that David has broken his relationship with the Lord, but David has had a lot of success. He's defeated his enemies. He faithfully endured when Saul was chasing after him. He became the king, and he was a successful king. God had given him all this military success. He brought the, com the, uh, the country great wealth, and now he has this great palace, and he's in Jerusalem, this great city. And, and even more, the ark, the ark of the covenant, where the spirit of God dwelled. Saul had lost it. To the Philistines, but David defeated the Philistines and he brought the ark back to Jerusalem, its rightful place where the Spirit of God dwelled among the people. And this is the moment we're in, this triumphant moment. David on his throne, the ark has returned, he's in his palace. And David says, God, here I live in a palace, let me build you a house. And it's as if God says, hold on, will you build me a house? Are you going to build me a house, David? No, David, you don't understand. I'm the one that built houses. I have built you a house. I took you from the pasture and I've made you a king. I've protected you from all your enemies. I've always gone before you. I am the builder here. Eugene Peterson says of this passage, I think David was just about to cross over a line from being full of God to being full of himself. 
David riding the crest of great acclaim, having decisively defeated the opposition, united God's people, captured the allegiance of all Israel. He was heavy with success, and he'd begun to think that he could do God a favor. But if David continued to develop along these lines, he will be ruined as a representative of God's kingdom. And then Eugene Peterson says, if any of us develops an identity in which God and God's grace is less important to who we are than our own action and performance, our ability to represent God's kingdom is utterly ruined. So let's talk about identity. We've actually talked about it a lot this weekend. Who are you? Who are you? Are you the summation of your achievements? Are you the summation of your accomplishments? Or fundamentally, are you the Lord's? Fundamentally, are you the Lord's? And if you were the Lord's, you don't build anything. <laughs> You're just the guy or the gal that God uses for his purpose, whatever that may be. And if this is how we understand identity, this is how the Christian understands identity, this is fundamentally different. I want you to hear this. This is how strange Christianity is. It is fundamentally different than not only every other religion, but every other type of worldview or thought that exists in the whole world. Everything, and, and I mean every other thing that I've seen in the world, says achieve, 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 build a house, build a house for God even. Do something for God, and then he'll bless you. Christianity alone says, no, you're not building a house for God. In fact, I'm building a house for you. The Christian identity is ultimately not one of achievement. The Christian identity is ultimately one of grace, which is actually, and I want you to hear this today, this, this identity of grace is why some of you who believe yourselves to be a Christian are actually not Christians. You've bought into an achievement form of Christianity, but not true Christianity. Grace, this identity of grace is so hard for us in an achievement and status and accomplishment world. It's so hard for us. In fact, I would say it this way. Grace, the grace that Christianity offers is actually a stumbling block for people to become a Christian. We don't really want that much grace. We want a little grace, right? We want a little grace. We, we all know we need a little grace. But if our whole identity is grace, that's a different story. I just want a little grace. I don't mind thanking God at my achievement for greatness speech that I give when I accept the award of greatness. I'll thank God and say, I couldn't be here without God. But I can't, I don't like to say, I didn't build anything. It was all God. It was all God's grace. No, I didn't build the house. God built the house for me. This is what God is saying to David. You aren't going to be known by what you have done for me. You are going to be known by what I 
have done for you. Can you receive that? Can you be known like that? But if you are, then here's the thing. Then you're the Lord's. Then you're truly the Lord's. If you will forsake your identity of achievement for an identity of grace, then guess what? You are the Lord's. God goes on to say, one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible, let's get verse 8 again. We're in 2 Samuel 7. He says, I took you from the pasture, from following sheep, that you should be the prince over my people, and I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off your enemies from before you, and I will make your name great, like the name of the great ones of earth. And I, listen to God here, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I am doing this. Would you build me a house, David? No, I'm building you a house. And what I am building for you, my beloved possession, what I am building for you, the one who receives my grace, is something so much bigger and grander and longer lasting than anything you could dream of. Now, you have to ask yourself, if God is extending David such favor and such grace that God is building him a house like this, giving him a name like this, why? <laughs> why David? On whose account? I mean, why does David get so much grace here? Now, to answer that, if you've never really read the Old Testament, it could take a long time for me to answer that. But I'm going to try to do it fast. Psalm 110. It's a psalm of David. And in this psalm, it's a very interesting psalm. David says, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's God, that's the personal name of God. The Lord, God, says to my Lord, this is a very interesting passage. David says, hear this, he's the king. He's over everyone. He's the ruler. And yet he says, God says to my Lord. And then basically, and I don't have time to, get, to go all the way through it today, but basically what happens in Psalm 10 is God says to my Lord, and then he repeats the promises of first or second Samuel 7. So the thing that will be true of David's offspring that we just read in 2 Samuel 7 is also true of this Lord figure in Psalm 110. It's very interesting. And, and really what's happening here is David is saying that my Lord 
is my offspring. You would never have heard this in ancient Near Eastern language. You never hear this in any language. My Lord, my Savior, if you will, my salvation is my offspring. Here in 2 Samuel 7, as Eugene Peterson said, David may be on the verge of self-dependence, but by the time he writes Psalm 110, he is a man who recognizes that he needs grace. David is a man who's experienced incredible victory, but he's also a man who's experienced incredible defeat, incredible sin. David, this great king that was so blessed by God, dishonored God when he wrongfully had sex with Bathsheba. And when she got pregnant, he tried to deceive and manipulate her husband, Uriah, who was out courageously fighting for Israel and fighting for David. And then when his deception and manipulation didn't work, he just had Uriah murdered. One of David's sons that he raised, raped one of David's daughters. And then another son killed that son, that son Absalom. Then the same son, Absalom, fought against his father. He forced him out of his throne. David was a man acquainted with grief and loss and pain. In 2 Samuel 7, he may be on the verge of being full of himself, but by the time he writes Psalm 110, he is saying, I need a savior. I need grace. Now look, I don't, I don't know where you are today. This room is filled with so much talent and potential. This room is filled with achievements. And it's very easy in a room like this for some of you to be here. You're even at Christ's covenant today saying, you know what, I've achieved so much, it's time for me to give back a little. What can I do for God? What can I do for God? I need to help God out. And if that's true of you, you're ruined. You're ruined. You're ruined to ever represent the kingdom of God. That's an identity of achievement. But I hope you're here with an identity of grace. That you've recognized that all I am is the Lord's. I am the Lord's. That you've recognized, you know, all I do, if you took all I've ever achieved and held it up to God, to his glory, to his power, to his weight, it's nothing. And if I'm really honest with myself before a holy God, if I'm really honest with myself before God, my record really isn't that good. The Bible says that God judges the thoughts of men, right? Not just our deeds, but our thoughts. I always say this, what if God, who, who here with your record of thought and deed is willing for me to put all your deeds and thoughts on this screen for all of us to check it out now? Everything you've ever thought, the, the true nature of your heart, do you want to put that to the test? Even before this room of sinners? How much less before a holy God? The Bible also says, that God judges the intentions of our heart. You know, if I'm really honest, if I'm really honest, a lot of the good things I do, I kind of do with myself in mind. I usually act selfishly. 
a lot of the good things I do, I have another motive. I want to be seen. I want to be commended. I want to be blessed. Who really has a record of achievement that they're willing to hold up when all the facts are known? And my prayer for us today, for myself and for all of us, is that we would realize that we are not a people who can be a savior, but we would, be, we would realize that we are a people who desperately need a savior. And if you have been saved, if you really have an identity of grace, then you are the Lord's. Then you're the Lord's. Then you're the Lord's. So who is this Savior? And the, <clears throat> the amazing thing that's revealed in this text is that the same Savior for David is the same Savior for us. You know, in one sense, you could, you could be, as you're reading the Bible, it could be like, well, it looks, looks like Solomon is the Savior of David. He's the offspring of the promise. Solomon came to reign after David, and it was a great time of peace and prosperity for Israel. But sure enough, Solomon's heart turned away. As we read in 1 Kings 11, after other gods, his heart was not truly devoted to the Lord, as was his father, David. So who is this Savior? And of course, now we know the mystery of God has been revealed. And God in his mercy and grace has sent his son Jesus, the true descendant of David, the true offspring of Abraham. And Jesus has come to fulfill all of these covenants and all of these provinces. That Jesus has come to make a great kingdom and a great name that would go on forever and forever. That Jesus has come to deal with our sin. I look at verse 14. God says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Of course, Jesus never committed an iniquity, but yet he received the rod. He received the stripes. The, the punishment that we were due, that David was due for all of our sins against a holy God, Jesus has taken on our sin. He has borne our rod. He has borne our stripes. And now in the hope of his life and death and resurrection, there is a promised rest and blessing. This blessing, this identity, this promise of the offspring has now come to us in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant, and that is grace. Do you have an identity of achievement? Or do you have an identity of grace? So we've talked about Identity, but secondly, what about purpose? What about purpose? You know, it's interesting here. David says, I want to build you a house. Well, he was talking about a physical house, a temple. Of course, Solomon did come and build a temple, and then the temple was destroyed, and it was rebuilt by Nehemiah, as we looked at, and then that temple was rebuilt again by Herod, and actually became the grandest temple in all the ancient world. There's no greater temple than the temple of Jerusalem in the ancient world. But of course, that temple was destroyed again. David says, I want to build you a temple, but it's as if God was saying here, you want to build me a house, I'm building a better house. And Jesus sort of said the same thing when 
He looked at that great temple of Herod, the greatest temple in the ancient world, and he said, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it. I will rebuild a better house, a better temple. You see, the Old Testament temple was a come and see temple. And it was amazing and beautiful. As they said, the grandest structure in the ancient world. And people would come to the temple and be moved by it. And they would say, God has blessed these people. The temple was the place where the ark was, where the spirit of God dwelled, the sacred place where heaven and earth met in the temple. It was a come and see temple. But the temple that God was going to build, the temple that God had in mind was an even greater temple. God says, I'm going to build a greater temple in my son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said, I'm going to rebuild this temple, what he ultimately had in mind was that the same spirit of God, by the power of his life, death, and resurrection, the same spirit of God that dwelled in Solomon's temple and then in Zerubbabel's temple and then in Herod's temple, the same spirit of God that dwelled in the temple among the people would come to dwell in all who look to Jesus in faith. The same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit of God that led Jesus in his ministry, the same spirit of God that dwelled in the temple, the place where heaven and earth would meet, now dwells in the life of you and me if you're in Christ, if you've received this identity of grace. You know, right before this passage that we just read, 2 Samuel 7, right before this, <clears throat> there's a story of the ark coming into Jerusalem on a cart. And as the ark is making its way into Jerusalem, it hits a bump, it starts to fall off, and a servant of the Lord, Uzzah, servant of David, Uzzah, reaches out his hand to stop the ark, to steady it on the cart, and he immediately dies. And, and really what that story tells us, I wish I could spend more time with this, but what that story tells us is that a, a sinful hand touching the place where the holiness and power of God dwells would, would bring immediate judgment, would bring immediate death. The, the amazing thing about the gospel is this, is that in Christ, if you've received this identity of grace, that you realize that by the life and death and power of Jesus, you could be made clean, you could be made whole, then you are made so clean in Jesus by his righteousness that that same spirit of God, that just to get near it might kill you, that same spirit of God now literally can dwell within you and not kill you. You're not going to die by the power of God's grace. You are this new temple. You are the temple we read in the New Testament, the place where heaven and earth meet, the dwelling place of God, as Peter and Paul describe it, the living stones. In the Old Testament, it was a come and see temple, but now this new living temple is a go-and-tell temple. And if that's true, if you've received this identity of grace, if you've received this deposit of the Spirit of God, if you are the temple, if that's true of you, I don't know that you see it. I don't know that you realize what God has entrusted to you. But if that's true of you, then I have two questions as we close. And it's this. 
How are you templing? And where are you templing? How are you templing? And where are you templing? If you're in Christ, if you've received this identity of grace, do you realize what God has entrusted to you? The Spirit of God dwells in you. You are the representative of God, the, the place where heaven and earth meet. It's this living temple that can scatter out over all the earth. You are the temple. How are you templing? Is it a temple? Is your life a temple that represents God faithfully, that shows the wonder of his mercy and kindness and grace and holiness? How are you templing? How are you representing the kingdom of the Lord? And then secondly, where? Where are you templing? You're going to spend your life somewhere. You're going to spend your life somewhere. You're going to represent God somewhere. And, and if you truly have an identity of grace, you know, then, then the, the resume that you can build throughout your life matters very little because you are the Lord's. So where are you templing? Where are you representing him? And, and I think the question that we want to ask you this week as we think about all of this and this plan of God that now he has invited us to be a part of is, is Atlanta, is the place where you live, is the place where you work, is the place where you have found yourself, is this, is this where the Lord wants you to temple? Is this where the Lord wants you to represent him? Or, or is there another strategic place? Is there a place of lesser gospel influence where the Lord might be calling you? As we hear these stories of Europe and the Middle East and of Asia and the work that God is doing, Dominican Republic, where are you templing? Where are you templing? Is the Lord calling you to live or work or do ministry in a context where you might be one of the only gospel lights there. Where are you templing? Is it where the Lord would have you? Do you have an identity of achievement? Or do you have an identity of grace? And if you have an identity of grace, then you are the Lord's. And if you're the Lord's, then you're the temple. And if you're the temple, how are you templing? And where are you templing? Let's think about these things. As we pray, just bow your heads with me. I want you to take a moment to, to ask yourself these questions. What is your identity? Is it one of achievement? Do you come here today saying, what can I do for God? Or maybe I'll do something for God so he'll bless me. Or do you come here today realizing, no, it's only God who's done for me. I am, I am just an object of his grace. And if that's true, if you have an identity of grace, then you are the Lord's. And if you're the Lord's, and by the power of the gospel, the spirit of God dwells in you. So how are you templing? Are you representing our Lord faithfully? Are you a faithful temple? Is the, is the presence of God really known in your life? And where 
Are you templing? Would the Lord have you to live somewhere differently, maybe more strategic for his purposes? And if you were the Lord's, are, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am. I'll go wherever. And so, Father, I, I pray that even in this moment of quiet, even in this moment of reflection, that you would speak and work. That we would see ourselves rightly. If, if we are in Christ as, as having an identity of grace, our achievements as we see in Scripture are, are small, they're rubble, they're rags compared to your holiness. Lord, in Christ, we have been made more than conquerors. I pray that we would find our whole life and identity in him. And Father, if we are in him, then we are yours, then we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And so, Lord, lead us to live out faithfully this calling that we have as Christians. I pray that for myself. I pray for everybody here. I pray you'd move now in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to um, close today with a testimony. Uh, and I wrote this in the email a few that I sent out last week. But, you know, it was, it was six years ago, I think actually today or tomorrow, six years ago, right around now, I was the pastor of Valleydale Church in Birmingham, and we had a missions conference same thing as we're having right now. And I was so moved. I was the pastor of the church, right? And I was so moved by that conference and just seeing what the Lord was doing around the world and seeing what the Lord was doing in North America um, that I just felt led. It was this same moment. It was this moment six years ago there in Birmingham, that I just kind of put my yes on the table. I just said, Lord, look, I think I'm supposed to be here. I'm, I love this church. I love these people. I feel like you're using me, but my yes is on the table. Where will you, where, where should I temple? And long story short, the result of that is here I am right now. The Lord had a different place for me to temple. And, um, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful because the Lord is blessing that church. The Lord had a plan for them. He has obviously a plan for, for us. I think that's my question right now, my ask. Is, is your yes to the Lord on the table? And, and if it is, there, there may be some real practical steps that God wants you to make today. And so we have this little card for you. And I'm, I want to give you a few moments just to fill this out. And I do hope, I mean, I hope everybody in the room fills this out. Now, don't, don't get nervous. If you fill this out, we're not putting you on a plane immediately and sending you to Saudi Arabia or the Middle East or something. But we are asking you to just put your yes on the table. And so, you know, just put your name here. And really, there's a few kind of steps. The first um, is just, you know, I'm, I'm new to this. I may be new to Christianity. I just need to grow as a disciple. Maybe that's get into a community group. The second is, you know, I, I need to read, I need to figure out what the Great Commission's all about. 
Uh, let's just learn more. I need to kind of become, just get aware of this. The third is, you know, I, I really want to start activating this. So we have under aware there, reading scripture with an unbeliever, um, attending missions prayer. You know, it's a very simple thing. Um, give, scripture trans, give to scripture translations. We were translating a, uh, the Bible into the Tatar language. Uh, it's a people group that has no access really to read the scripture that we have. Or maybe I'm going to go on a short-term mission trip. I just want to become more aware. The next is I want to get more active. I want to go to the Mission of God class. I want to join the missions care team. I want to serve with international students. I want to lead a mission trip. I want to pursue growth as a disciple maker. I want this to be true of my life. The next is really discerning. Maybe is the Lord calling me somewhere? Maybe that's adopt a missions partner, place or people. Apply for an internship program here at our church. We can grow and learn more about what does gospel ministry look like. Apply for a short-term global ministry opportunity, which you have three months to two years to go and join with one of our partners somewhere. Could you maybe do the same job you're doing here and in Paris or in the Middle East or in, in Southeast Asia. The next one is, you know what, I, I really feel like God is doing something in my life. He's, he's calling me in this direction. So I want to be in the pastoral residency program. I want to get some coaching. I want to learn how to do this better. And then maybe the last one is, look, I'm in. I'm in. You've been hearing from some of our people. You heard Chris Boynton who prayed today and Madison and Caroline, who we heard from in the video, and Allie Fry and, uh, and Greg Conley, who've just basically said, I'm in, I'm, I'm figuring it out. I don't know exactly what that means yet, but I'm in. And, and, and if the Lord is asking you to take one of those steps, we just want to help you. The, re, the purpose of this card is this. We just want to resource you. We want to be good pastors to you. We're going to give this to elders, pastors. And so, as you kind of read through these and try to discern where you are, just circle where you think you are on the back here, and then put, I will share with, and you can write down my name, you can write down a pastor's name, you can write down your elder's name, you can write down your small group leader's name, but I just invite you now to take some time, and I hope everybody in the room, everybody in the room, I'm going to give you a few more moments just to fill these out, to put your yes on the table, to ask the Lord what step he's asking you to make, and, uh, and then we're going to have a time to respond. So just take a few moments, and then just after 30 seconds or so, our missions partners are going to stand. In fact, I'm going to invite them to stand right now, and they each have a basket, and they're going to scatter throughout the room. Some of our missions partners here, and some of our folks, there's Manuel over here, there's Chris Boynton, who the Lord has put a call on his life. And as you turn these in, we're going to stand and sing here, but I'll just invite you as you turn them in, just drop in one of the baskets of these partners, and it just gives you an opportunity to give them a word of encouragement. Now, you can't stop. I mean, there's going to be a bunch of people, I hope, so you can't stop and maybe have a long word of encouragement. But just a word, just to say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. I, I commit to pray for your work. I commit to pray for your transition. You know, here, here, here's my information. Let me know how we can help you. Just a good word of encouragement to them. So let me just pray one more time. And then we're going to stand, and as you're ready, I invite you just to come and encourage these folks and let us know where you are in taking this step in the mission of God. So, Father, I do pray that, that our yes would be on the table and that we would be willing to go wherever, to, to temple faithfully 
wherever and however, if that's here, if that's a way, Lord, we would be a part of what you're doing, this big story of your redemptive grace, Lord, that you have been working out for centuries now. I pray that the nations that have little access, Lord, to you, some in some cases, zero access to you, would have many faithful laborers come to them. That Christ may be glorified in those places, that they may receive this good grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.